0: Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CMF Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info.
1: Hey everybody, it's Will Sullivan here again with another episode of Let's Cover That and my co-host,
0: Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Taya Moheiser. Chief Revenue Cycle Officer at H4 Technology. Taya, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Absolutely, happy to be here. Fellow podcasters, that's always exciting.
1: Yeah, except tell us. You, ex- except for you're the one who tells us how to make money, you know, in the
0: healthcare
2: <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> That's only possible if you fill in all the gaps though.
0: Very true. <laughs> so Taya, tell us a little bit about H4 Technology.
2: Sure, so um, we are mostly a data management uh, software as a service company. So we do a lot of kind of custom builds for state health societies um, or state behavioral health departments, things like that on one side of the company. Then we're kind of split into three channels. We have one channel that's really heavily strong in behavioral health and social determinants of health and building software that really helps kind of the care continuum. And then the other side, the side that I more so head up, is the financial management side, right? Tracking the revenue cycles, um, giving advisory services, really helping organizations capture their revenue, stay afloat. You know, my favorite things to talk about.
1: So, so why don't you just give us a little bit of your background from where you were and how you got to where you are now?
2: Sure, sure thing. So I started um, out in private practice. Um, I was working as a temp in the referral department and um, at that time i was also looking at kind of how i wanted to get involved in healthcare you know how can i best help this industry and so i went to become a first responder i took medical assisting classes billing and coding classes but i worked at this phenomenal organization that said if you want to move up you need to work every desk in the building um outside of being a clinician obviously and i i worked every desk in the building you know i worked prior off i worked at the front desk i worked everywhere and The more you do that and you have that cross training, the more you start to see the challenges and the barriers that for a lot of times we're creating ourselves, right? And uh, that really got me more interested in administration. If we have all these challenges and some of them seemingly have common sense solutions, why are we not implementing those? And that's really when I realized there's not that cross training everywhere. Those things aren't really so common knowledge. Um, And I really just kind of haven't shut up about it since then. And that's really pushed me (laughs) into everything else that I've done, right? Book writing, speaking, teaching the podcast, all of it has been just my inability to shut up about these things that I want everybody to know so that they stay afloat and and thrive.
1: So just focus a little bit on your, I guess, your speaking capability. So just give us a quick quick snippet about the podcast that that you're driving.
2: Oh, sure. So um, I co-host Rev Dive with Kem Tolliver. She's sort of my partner in success, I call her, but Kem and I – have been talking nonstop about revenue cycle management probably for about ten years. Uh, we speak a lot for Practice Management Institute, MGMA, Hims, AAPC. You know, just kind of going in and teaching the actual revenue cycle. But RevDive is a little bit separate because it's it's for people that are like us, right? We're looking for those folks that can't stop thinking about the revenue cycle and how to improve it and how to make it better and. They have really super unique questions and we want to be able to answer those on the show as much as possible while giving them updates um, as much as we can for what really is going to impact their job and their roles and their positions.
0: So, Taya, can you tell us a little bit about what is revenue cycle management and how does it assist clinicians and clinics out in the healthcare industry?
2: Yeah, great question. So revenue cycle the re- actual revenue cycle is really the the building block foundation of whether or not your facility is going to be successful because it's it starts off well before the patient's been seen the revenue cycle kicks off when you first talk to the patient on the phone and you're getting them scheduled for a visit and you need to obtain accurate information demographics etc because that's going to impact whether or not you're getting paid on the back end but the revenue cycle starts there and it continues all the way through past the point of check in check out seeing the patient, coding, billing, um, whether or not you get paid, following up on that payment, getting patient responsibilities collected, and then the reporting and all of that that takes place way, way after the patient's been seen to drive kind of your future strategy. So all in all, that revenue cycle component touches every single piece of the organization, right? touches the front desk, the medical assistants, billing, obviously, medical records. And so it's really the central foundational structure that organizations have to have really secure to ensure that long-term kind of financial viability.
1: So, so really, you know, RCM or revenue cycle management <coughs> is, is really for like our, our background and for people on overall, you know, consumer market, it's just client journey, it seems like, yeah. and how the company operates in alignment with that from the first touch point to the last and future facing to kind of make you more sticky, retain clients or patients, make sure you kind of, you know, get the best out of uh, what you provide to them quality wise, but also gain enough revenue. Um, when when you start looking at what things are going on these days, what, what are like the three major kind of unknown, like what are the unknowns in RCM that people just don't even bring up commonly?
2: You know, there's so many things that, um, that, that come up. And I think one, you just drove home, right? This, this is in another industry, this would be called the customer journey. And we do need to think of things in that format. I think we fail a lot um, as healthcare leaders to look to other industries for examples of what we can do better and ways we can use knowledge that already exists and apply it to what we're doing. I think there's some things that we really take as um, almost as standards as just things that, well, this is healthcare, so thereby I have to deal with this. And that's just not the case, you know? So for example, denials people are constantly looking at how can I better manage my denials how can I better attack those or apply staff to those or improve my process management you know tools put those things in place to drive performance and really we should be looking at why are they happening in the first place and how do we stop them from happening at all You know, so there there are things like that. Um, And I would say the third for me would be looking at the allowable amounts. For some organizations, that's hard to get to is to, to see what they're actually supposed to be paid. But healthcare is one of those industries where you get in a payment and sometimes you don't know if that's what you were supposed to receive, you know, and you can go back and look at your contract, which has a base rate. That's a percentage of another rate that doesn't apply in the circumstances, a, B and C, or applies with a percentage, an additional percentage, if, you know, X, Y, and Z happened. So it can be very challenging. You know, it's, it's, I was talking to somebody the other day, it's like going to a yard sale and saying, hey, I'm going to buy this lotion for you. I'm going to give you $17.50 for it. And you have no idea whether or not that's right. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's a very, very unique industry in which we're billing not, we should know what we're going to get paid, right? We contracted that out. But there's so many formulas that are applied to that that, after that contract, you know, that it's very, very difficult. And if you're at a private practice level or even sometimes at a hospital level, you may not have the resources technologically to put into place to understand what you should have been paid. So you're basically just taking what you get and hoping that it was right.
1: So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, You know, one of of the things that brings up to me immediately is like this whole transition that we've been trying to push on, you know, going from fee-for-service into quality, value-based care, is that it sounds like there's just a ton of hurdles if you're kind of pushing an ACO or you're focusing on kind of doing the value-based care shift to understand what is your revenue impact going to be outside of, you know, you're focused on like what's the allowable amount than actual quality of care metrics, which could negatively impact you. and can lose revenue as well on top of the miscoding, right?
2: Well, that's why you kind of just have to at a certain point say, okay, well, did we get paid? Awesome, let's look at whether or not that was right later because you don't have the time to focus on that. And I think the other challenge that you have with the shift to value is patient attribution and de-attribution because we see that very, very commonly where you have, you know, you've gotten paid for this number of patients to treat them for January to March, let's say, right? We're talking Q1. Then we do a true up in in April and we realize, oh wait, because of how we calculated, not you, but how we calculated who was actually treating that patient, this money doesn't go to you anymore now, it goes to a hospital over here. Then you as a private practice are like, well, I continue to see that patient, but you are no longer the attributed provider. You're not getting that capitated rate anymore. So that's also impacted your revenue. So it's, it's really looking at all of these complicated metrics and trying to estimate how you're getting paid, when you're going to get paid. It can get really overwhelming for organizations really quickly. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, when Kim and I started talking about revenue cycle and wouldn't shut up, I think that's one of the reasons why people were listening is because it is extremely complicated and they need help.
1: Yeah, one one thing I wanted to add in there, just of, of note, that's been kind of Shifting into the insurance market with healthcare entities is actually covering the losses of the value-based care business entity on you know what's the most you won't make in a year and ensuring that loss essentially. Like you said, there's, there's a timeline of a true up where you might not be able to attribute it to their value-based care that you've done and
2: mm-hmm. not
1: make the revenue. And it's really a negative impact that's a, a big kind of you know, question mark in your year so interesting
2: well and i think that there's also been a lot of conversation about uh, particularly at the federal level and with federal insurance programs how are we driving that calculation so if you look at like the proposed rule that came out for next year for 2023 they're looking at including some additional um, specialty services in for out attribution calculations because it's just something that we don't really have netted out well yet, right? There's still some kinks in that.
0: So Taya, from your point of view, what do you think the future of RCM is? Ooh, wow, what a
2: great question. You know, I really hope that the future of RCM is proactive, I really do. Um, I think that so many of us you know, we started out in this industry billing whatever we wanted. You know, we just write on a piece of paper, this is what I did, you owe me $1,000. And we'd get a check for $1,000. And the pendulum swung so far away from that. Um, the the public opinion is that providers make millions and millions of dollars, have money to throw around everywhere, when honestly they're operating on margins so thin that many of them are struggling to stay afloat. And I think that, you know, one thing we need to do is come a little bit back more to middle ground. No, we don't need to just, you know, tell people to give us a, a blank check. But we also have so much oversight and so much complication right now that we're not able to to function in a really really positive, really useful way that's going to last us long term. So I'd really like to see proactive engagement in the revenue cycle. I'd really like to see people focusing on every step in the revenue cycle model and making it as strong as they possibly can. Um, That's my goal. And to see it as supported, I would, Kim will kill me if I don't say this, and to see it supported as much as possible by technology and automation, wherever it can be. Because I think Our industry is about 10 years, if not more, behind every other industry in terms of our use of technology. The fact that we're still reliant on fax machines, for example, um, supports that.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because when you start looking at the triple aims of the Affordable Care Act, you get back into that and you look like access to care, quality care, cost containment, you you really feel like being proactive makes the most sense for any of the businesses and you know one of our friends from panacea financial when they uh got into the banking atmosphere for doctors you know that's one of the things they attribute to burnout is just not knowing where their paychecks are day to day as they're going through med school and then they get into their fellowship and then they do it in the private practice and this is like a a different vein of that do do you see that just kind of as a, a final thought like Is that part of why there's so much consolidation burnout you feel with owners?
2: Absolutely. It is very challenging for private private practice owners because all of that is on their shoulders all of the time. And the first doctor I ever worked for said, I went to school to learn how to be a physician, I didn't go to school to learn how to run a business. Um, Which I think is is really important for people to recognize that when they go to medical school They're not being taught all of this nitty-gritty detailed You know information they'd need to know in order to understand where their revenue is going to be coming from in the future So to identify that revenue make sure it's the right that they're you know supposed to be getting paid Are they able to meet payroll is there a cash call coming up? Is it okay if I take a vacation? and I'm gone for a week if you're an employee You use vacation time. If you're a physician owner, what is that going to impact long-term on our revenue? Is that going to impact my ability to make the third payroll that we have in this upcoming month? It's so much additional stress. Um, and I think it's heavily contributes to burnout. And I don't think enough people are talking about the fact that these are entrepreneurs, right? We're big on our small businesses. Help out your small businesses. Help out your, your local entrepreneur. They are. They are entrepreneurs and they are entrepreneurs of the best sort. Right. Because all they want to do is help people. They're not retail. They're not just trying to sell you something. They just want to make you better. So they are the best sort of entrepreneurs. And I think they genuinely need help understanding the dynamics of of that. Otherwise, they end up retiring early. They end up consolidating. Um, And I think there's a place for hospitals. I think there's a place for rural. I think there's a place for private practice. And when you start to see one of those groups dwindling really fast, I think that that's a sign we're doing something wrong from a legislative or regulatory perspective.
0: Absolutely. Taya, it's been wonderful getting to know you today and learning about H4 technologies. We hope our listeners will tune into your podcast and uh, read some of your books so much to learn and we hope to have you on the podcast again soon thank you so much for your time today
2: thank you so much happy to be here